So our first ever Cornerstone Core podcast, where we're going to sit and talk about who we are as a church, what our heart and our vision is, our values that we have as a church, and why we think it's essential for us as a whole church to know this and to really be able to embrace it in order to be the church God's designed us to be and desires us to be. And so we're going to jump right in, um, and we're going to start with just our vision statement. So I'm going to read it for us, and then we'll kind of start to dissect it and pick apart some of the things that are within it. So our vision here at Cornerstone is to impact the world with the good news of Jesus. By equipping the church to follow God passionately, love people authentically, serve others generously, and to share the gospel boldly. And so, Bill, like even at the beginning of this, there's like two key words in that first sentence, the idea of impacting the world with the good news of Jesus and equipping the church to follow God love authentically, serve generously, and share the gospel boldly. But with impact, like when we talk about the idea of impacting the world with the good news of Jesus, like what are some things that jump out to you um, that resonate in your heart as far as Cornerstone goes? Yeah, absolutely. When I think of impact, I think of just a movement. And the verse that comes to mind is that Matthew 5, 16, right? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The movement isn't for us. It's a, it's really for the Lord. And so when we're intentional and we love and kind of follow these pillars and live this out, I think the Lord is is honored. And I think people catch it because it's contagious. What would you add to that, Chris, when you talk about the idea of impacting the, the world? Yeah, what comes to mind for me is that Jesus wants to do something through my life, and it's not just about me. And so how do I live in a way that those around me are more aware of who God is? And uh, it doesn't just end with me. And so it doesn't just um, stay with my family, but like even in my community and in my place at work and, um, Jesus starts a movement and you see that lives are transformed as a result of Mm -hmm. what he does in the individual heart. And, um, it doesn't, it doesn't just stay there. Right. And so as a people, then how are we all collectively moved by God transforming us? Like at times church can kind of becomes kind of a consumable product versus this kind of a thought process, right? Where we come to church and we're spiritually entertained for lack, maybe a cynical way of saying it, but, but rather than thinking in terms of like our, our being the church basically equips us to be that out into the world, right? Which leads us to our second word, that idea of equipping mm-hmm. um, that, that we want to see um, every member of the church be the church and live it out. So when we talk about that idea of equipping the church, um, to, to live out these pillars that we'll talk about in a second, Chris. Like, what what is it about that that resonates in you that you think is so important for people who are considering being part of Cornerstone to understand? It's that it doesn't end with us, and we play a role, we play a part, and that God wants to move through our lives to bring about uh, the change in in our communities, uh, in in our jobs, in our schools. And that equipping means um, we have a role to play in the church. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we think of that as we're just maybe volunteering or just someplace where we have to be able to just put time in in some kind of ministry. But it's more than that. It becomes really finding our place in the body and uh, understanding that God wants to move in the world through the church and each of us have a unique part to play yeah uh, so as as leaders uh, what we're trying to do is i think position people in, in relationship to their gifts in relationship to how god wired them uh to fulfill um everything that the church is intended to be yeah how what would you add to that yeah, I think sometimes it's breaking the mold of perception where the pastor, or the the people are in a position to lead and do the work. And I think it's exactly what Chris explained. It's it's really shifting that thought process and recognizing that people have gifts and we're empowering the people to do the work of ministry. And so that it doesn't hinge on the leadership, it hinges on us as a people, the church, and it's collectively. And I think that's how it correlates even to impact, right? When people are living this out, and people uh, recognize they have a responsibility and, and they're empowered and equipped to do the work of ministry, then it, it goes farther, right? And that's where the impact takes place. So. Yeah, and you hear that resonate in, in a phrase that we use around here a lot this, a lot at Cornerstone, which is that we are Cornerstone, right? The yes. Cornerstone is a people. It's not a place primarily. That's right. And that God has given the leadership, the gifts 
of, of staff and, and elders and pastors to equip the people that ultimately, like the success of Cornerstone isn't about my success or how good it, I teach or you teach or you teach, like, but it is really how God uses that so that the people flourish. That's right. And as the people of the church flourish, it ripples out into the community. It is a shift in thought process from the idea of the church being a consumable product. I come in and I sit and I listen and I learn and then I go about my day to know like the listening and the learning and the small groups and the studies and all of those are are a means to an end of equipping me to impact the world with the gospel. That's right. And as I think of the listeners, too, I think it's important to recognize that really for them, it's to take the step to be equipped. Yeah. Otherwise, if they don't take the step, then there's no opportunity for equipping in that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the thing I'd probably add to that, too, is we've got this idea of what it means to follow Jesus. It becomes very individualistic. Mm-hmm. And it's really just all about me and my personal obedience and, and my personal devotion. Um, but it's so much more than that, right? Yeah. To be equipped as part of the body is to recognize that God wants to do something through my life. And that as I surrender and I and I come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and I'm truly following after him, it can end with me um, that my heart grows in love for other people. And I look around and I see a lost and dying world and I'm not okay with that. And I have to do something about it, about it. Uh, Paul talks about how the love of Christ compels me. And there's this compulsion that all of us have because we recognize this doesn't exist for us. Right. Yeah, right. so good. Right. And so, like, if if you know, you could take our vision and say, like, the, the the simplest form, our vision is to impact the world with the good news of Jesus, right? So that's the vision. But then the how of that vision is that next part, which is equipping the church to follow God passionately, love people authentically, serve others generously, and share the gospel boldly. And those four things are kind of like the four legs to the table that we would say we call them pillars here at Cornerstone. And like, these are the things that really are kind of the broadest. Um, buckets of of what it means or how we are going to equip people to make an impact in their community. And so we'll take a few minutes and just unpack these four pillars. And so, Chris, when we talk about this idea of following God passionately, and you've actually already touched on it a little bit, that idea of following him, um, it, it goes beyond just I learn verses in the Bible or I do these spiritual things like reading my Bible and praying. There, there, there seems to be more underneath that. So maybe if you could unpack a little bit of what that means. Yeah, there absolutely is. It's this idea, Luke nine twenty three that whoever would come after me must first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the denying yourself is the hardest part of that because that's so daily. It's this idea of my life is no longer my own. Um, And so as I surrender everything to Jesus, he comes in and begins to shape my heart and uh, changes my affections, changes the things that I'm pursuing, changes the things that I I care about, um, and it changes the whole trajectory of my life. Um, So, and that impacts every area of my life. And so that can be very, very difficult because... um, by nature, I'm very selfish. We're all very selfish. We want to hold on to our rights, yeah. hold on to the things that um, are really our kingdom, the things that we want to build up and control. And uh, and we want Jesus to be a part of that. We want Jesus to bless that. We want to add him on to yeah. all of these things that I've done to build my life. And Jesus says, no, I want all of it. And, and I'm wanting you to surrender and not just give me part, but but the whole. I've come for everything. Anything That's you would right. want to add to that when you talk about, maybe like even talking about passionately, like what does it mean, this mm-hmm. idea of passion, that there's a, it's more than just like a begrudging, I follow Jesus, but. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's we reap the benefits, right? I, I not, not that it's recorded here, but this idea of this this passage where Christ says the the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that you'd have life and life to the full. Amen. And that life to the full is like we reap the benefits, one, on this earth in the midst of kind of a broken, chaotic world, but we reap an eternal benefit that's so much more. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, we get the ability to receive what he offers us. And so because of that, I want to respond. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think... For us, it's it, we have to be a people that begin to orientate our life around the gospel, and mm-hmm. and it's the denial of self. It's the I have to say no to this, because there are many things that pull at us, and those things that pull at us are very valid and and essential work, family, but I've got to begin to 
orientate my life around the important things, and that's the truth of Jesus Christ, where I get to say no to essential, non-essential things so that I can make these things a priority in my life. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, yeah. And we do, like, that's one of the things as part of our pillars, like, we want a church full of people that are following Jesus passionately. And in many ways, like, the rest of this is all, like, cascades from that. Like, if you have a church full of people following Jesus passionately... Yeah, the rest takes care of itself. Yeah, the rest is gravy, right? Like, it makes our job so much easier as leaders. And, you know, people are coming in, they're excited about who Jesus is, they're pursuing him. And then our job is really just to help kind of encourage and stoke that fire. So our second pillar is this idea of loving people authentically. Um, And so, Bill, I'll go to you with this one. Um, Authenticity in our culture is a, it's kind of a, a... a catchphrase now and mm-hmm. like everything's authentic and which means honestly, probably nothing is authentic right. in many ways. And so we kind of tout authenticity, like I'm just being the real me and you know, my truth, all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. So when you, when we talk about this idea that one of our pillars is that we want to love people like with, with authenticity, how would you describe to the people listening and watching what that looks like and what that means? Yeah, I think it would be really it's combined with us not it's not our desires right it's the heart of christ and this love toward people and and i think it's based on their needs right and and my mind's a little jumbled here but i do think when i when i process this love authentically it is caring for people in the way that they need to be cared for and it's sacrificial on our part so Mm -hmm. it's not it's not what i get out of it it's really what the person's going to benefit and it's an eternal benefit prayerfully that my intention to love them is yeah making their them the priority over yourself that's right and doing that like romans talks about uh i think it's romans 12 says you know uh, love with genuine affection mm-hmm. so uh it, it's in our culture it seems like we've turned this into like tolerate like well i gotta put up with this guy like i can't be a jerk to him and that's not love like mm-hmm. tolerance isn't love like love is putting even to those who might be in opposition to us or might be messy or hard to right. care for, right? It's it's putting their needs, their flourishing above our own and, and being able to enter into that honestly. And authenticity also means like like being honest, right? Yep. It means going like, hey, like like truth is important. Like I need you to know if someone's in sin or they're struggling, like they need to be challenged and encouraged. And again, pointed to Jesus, not condemned, but at the same time, there's authenticity in saying like, hey, I'm... Like I'm worried about you, that's and right. there's something like that's that's something we've kind of in some ways lost in church and in in our culture that is important. Yeah, and I would say it it is the heart to like you said not condemn but to complete somebody. Yeah. So if if I'm missing it, if I've if I'm not honoring the Lord, and I know you guys live this way, and I live it with others, but you you're willing to tell me so that I'm right in the eyes of the Lord, and I actually want that kind of authenticity that you're going to share to help me more honor the Lord. Yeah. What would you add to that, Chris? You know, you were talking about how uh, authenticity is one of those words that's lost its impact, but so has love, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea of to love authentically, um, man, that's that's a challenging one because that is also like one of those kitchen junk drawer words where we say a lot of different things are right. love. And so even our version of what, what love is, we don't demonstrate a commitment and we don't demonstrate like real truth in the way we frame our relationships. And that's just really hard to do. Um, So to love the way God loves, to love without condition and to love with sacrifice and to have the attitude of Jesus where um, he, he doesn't think of his own rights and uh, he humbles himself and becomes a servant and Mm. um, he's obedient to the point of death. And that's love and God's love. And so if the rest of the world is going to know who we are as believers by the way we love one another, then that's the bar. That's that's what's set up for us. Um, so to just love the way God loves is authentically, but it completely redefines our version of of what love is, because we like love to be something that we feel, something that we experience, something that creates positive emotions. But that's not how God always loves, right? In yeah. fact, the way God loves is very contrary to the way we love as humans. We don't know what love is apart from God. God loved us first. He showed us what love is. And in in short, 
It does require sacrifice. It becomes me putting your rights and your needs ahead of even my own and being willing to be lower so that you can feel appreciated. You could feel your needs met. You could be um, above where I am and and I can lead you to what it looks like to be loved by God. And that's it, tough for all of us. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you, it's fair to say it would be impossible, right? Like that, that just gritting our teeth and living this way. Like yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna mm-hmm. love this guy so much. Like that's not gonna happen. No. And so it is, it is a fruit of us embracing the gospel, embracing God's love for us, and going like, okay. Like Jesus has demonstrated that for me and he's given me his spirit, right? So I have his presence with me to be able to set myself aside and to love in a way that is genuine, authentic and self-sacrificial and really leans into the needs of others to the point where I'm actually, um, I'm not jealous when other people succeed, but I'm actually excited for them, you know, that I get to be a part of their journey of flourishing and, you know, a church that loves authentically one of the byproducts of that is it creates a, a, an environment for um, relationships to grow in a healthy way for, for spiritual and emotional relationship. When, when we can be genuine people, authentic people about our good days and our bad days, what we're doing is we're also creating a safe environment for people who are struggling to not feel like they have to put a facade on, which can happen, right? Like churches can be, feel very curated, right? Like we curate Sure. Who we are and how we look and how things how are things going? Fine, right? Yeah. Like we kind of we measure and we couch things. Right. And and authenticity, like if if I know, and we have this, the three of us have this, right? Where like I know your guys' love for me is genuine and authentic. So when I'm at my low points, like I don't feel hindered to come to you and say, Hey, here's what I'm struggling with today. Here's what's going on in my heart, my life, here's the sin I was exposed to me, here's you know, my marriage, whatever it would be. Because I know that ultimately, because of your love, because of Jesus' love through you to me, it's a safe place for me to struggle. And that's a really huge thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is so incredibly beautiful, beautiful when we are willing to be in relationship authentically in the sense that, man, I don't want people to know my junk. But the safest place I can be with the Lord is when those people I trust and it's a safe environment know my junk mm-hmm. so that it can be addressed in my life and we can all point each other back to jesus that's right yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's what i want yeah that's awesome okay pillar three we'll keep going because we're gonna keep this short so it's not a seven parter um chris with this idea of serving others generously so we have loving one another authentically but then the third pillar is this idea of serving others generously when we when we talk about serving others and i mean they, they kind of go hand in hand they're almost you know obviously it's two legs of the of the stool sure. um but when we talk about serving others generously how would you frame that or help our people understand more so what we mean by that yeah this is tough for me because i i can also be very scarce in my mindset of um, what i have to give um, but god is a god of abundance right the the word tells us that the earth is the lord's and everything in it um, and Jesus, the way he even teaches his disciples to pray is that God is a, a good father. He's not a wicked judge, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. give uh, stones and serpents, but fish and bread. And so um, if we're supposed to approach the father that way, then also his character moves through us so that his generosity uh, moves through us. And so um, I'm always wanting like the Lord to grow me in this area and praying like, God, give me a generous heart because it moves us out of the things that are just comfortable for us. Um, Even the way Paul encourages the first century church to grow in this area is not to give under compulsion, but, but to give generously, to give cheerfully, right? And how uh, our heart actually matters in this. And so I think generosity always pushes us beyond places where we're comfortable and moves us to a place of uh, sacrifice, but it's it's out of not a compulsion, but out of love for you, and it's out of love for my brother, and it's out of this desire to truly be like Jesus, who he he gives up all of his rights. He doesn't hold on to anything, and he's not worried about keeping something for himself, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he is a God of abundance. And so um, that that can be the hardest thing to break out of our mindset. Like, uh, And that's not just even with like stuff we have physically or financially, 
that can be emotionally, that can mm-hmm. be relationally, right? Like we can be thinking, oh, I'm introverted, I don't like people, and so therefore I can't be in a, a community group or somebody's gonna ask something of me that I, yeah. I just don't have margin mm-hmm. for. Um, and so many times, right, like we, we create this inner world that we wanna protect, and church becomes a place where we just come and we're gonna learn something about God, but then it's really just for, for me and God, and, and the Lord never does his work that way. We're part of a family, and that's how we grow. Yeah. Well, Jesus said these crazy things like, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like, what? You got to do what? Yeah, it's okay, right. So there's this weird, there, there's a tension in that. Like, like that's a hard sell in, in our culture, right? Yeah. For any of us, our, because we, we all carry that scarcity mindset that it's like, no, like I have to protect and, and like protect what's mine or right. not even what's mine, but protect what I think I need in order to flourish. And Jesus is like, true flourishing comes from giving that away yeah. and trusting me to be a good father and to provide all you need, right? What would you add to that? And you think about this idea of serving generously. Yeah, I think where Chris said, it's like being like Jesus. It, it is this idea that we are the hands and feet of Christ to his people, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think we have to understand this idea of stewardship first, right? It's it's his, like all the resources are his. He told Adam, Adam and Eve to go inhabit the earth, right? And multiply. And as a result, here we are today. And so our time, our, our, our resources, we have to recognize that he's allowed us to have that. And if we recognize that and we want to steward that, we want to honor with him, honor him with those resources and our time. It's Even last night, I get phone rings at 1130 at night. I'm in bed. It wakes me up. I don't want to answer the call, but I know it's a family or a couple that's struggling. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. I got to serve them generously. I got to I got to say I'll get less sleep tonight and it's about them. And yeah. and so just stewarding it and going, Lord, this is for you. It's not mine, it's for you and I trust you're going to use it to build your kingdom through my efforts. Yeah, I love that you guys like you differentiate cuz oftentimes when you talk about generosity in church it kind of can get hyper focused on money specifically. Sure, right. Um and it that is part of it, right? Because where your treasure is your heart will be and Jesus right. is very clear and talks a lot about how resources and money right. can can hinder our heart and our flourishing. Um but it does go beyond that. There is this sense of like um in many ways in our culture time has become a greater commodity, especially right. living in a wealthy area like like Rockwall's not a a depressed area financially for the most part. And so time becomes the commodity that we all kind of try and hoard. It's like, ah, you know, I don't know if I can do that and this, or I don't know if I can, you know, I don't want to get up at 1130 at night and talk to someone on the phone. And so it is thinking broader about my generosity and saying, like, if I give myself away, like, if I, if in this moment I lose my life, I trust that God's going to meet me in that space. Okay, our fourth pillar. Um we talk about sharing the gospel boldly. Bill, when we talk about this idea of sharing the gospel boldly, um, like I think the image that comes to mind for many people is a guy on a soapbox with a bullhorn shouting repent yeah. and they, telling people they're going to hell. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily what we mean by no. that. So when, when we talk about this idea of embodying, being missional, sharing the gospel, what do we mean by that? Yeah, I would say that we're, we're not afraid of it. And there's there's... Like, how do we do it a couple of different ways? Do I share the gospel with every person I encounter? Do I build relationship? And I would say yes and, right? Yeah. It's all the above. Um, but it's that I'm not I'm not worried about what they think about me. I'm not worried about the rejection. I'm more worried about their salvation and their soul. And so I have to get beyond me and be willing to share it in the most loving way. And, it, you know, the other one set this up. We're, we're considering them more important. We're, we value people, right? We want to serve them generously. It's, so it's, it's this heart that we want to see people land in eternity. And so we've got to be willing to share it with our lives and, and with our words. Yeah, and you see, like Jesus said, go therefore, you know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like he commissioned us that, you know, th- his plan was that we would be the image of his kingdom, that we would be the mouthpiece mouthpiece in how we display the gospel, in how we live and love and serve, like you're saying, and also in what we say, that it's going to be a both and in that. Like, Chris, what would you add to that when we talk about this heart? And this is probably one of the harder things for the church to embrace. It's really easy to kind of come together and be a church. Yeah. This idea of, of, of going to the lost, which is the primary word that Scripture uses to describe people who don't know Jesus, is mm-hmm. lost. And, and helping them to see and be found. Like, how would you add to this conversation around the idea of sharing the gospel boldly? I agree in that this is one of the more challenging because I think it's a true manifestation of, of like what God is doing in and through us. 
I mean, all of these things that we've talked about are, uh, but if we really are being changed and transformed, then we we grow a heart for the lost. And I, I just remember just praying and, and thinking through like my own um, process of what it meant to follow Jesus and, and come into this place of recognizing that um, somebody had to love me enough to want to share this with me. Yeah. Um, that, um, you know, I, I read the scriptures and, and I, I put my faith in Jesus Christ because I came to a place just from reading his, his word where I had to make a decision about what I was coming in, into face to face with. Was it truth? Was it error? Was Jesus who he says he is? And if we're following Jesus and we, we take what he says to be true, then that means there are people who are far from him. There, there is a narrow gate. There is a wide road that leads to destruction. Mm-hmm. That you and I, we have family members and coworkers and people in our community who aren't on a narrow or who aren't going to be walking through that narrow gate. And I think of Paul and how he even prays for boldness. He's pray that I declare the gospel boldly as I should. And that's often a prayer of mine. I'm thinking of people that I'm praying for and hoping and trusting God uh, to move through my life as, as I grow in what it means to declare the gospel boldly. But I, I concur with what Bill said. It, it starts just through motivation of love is, is knowing that one day, man, I close my eyes forever and I leave this place. And I want, I want to live in such a way where I didn't shrink back from everything God called me to do. And that means especially the hard things, right? Declaring the gospel boldly as I should and, and engaging in relationships and, and being willing to even um, get past myself and, yeah. and say hard things in ways that uh, hopefully are motivated with love and, and seasoned with salt, but also knowing that Jesus can be offensive and, and will be, and, and there are things that we wind up giving up in order to be obedient to the gospel. Yeah, and I think that, like, um, like I, th- I, I know that, like, the feedback I hear often from people is like, well, what if I don't, like, what if I say the wrong things? What if I don't know the right things? And, and I think there's some truth in that. That's part of the equipping, right? We want to make sure that people are equipped right. to understand the gospel to the point where they can share it but even beyond the theological truths but there's a reality like there's the blind guy right where um jesus heals him right he, he, he gives him sight and the guy's being quizzed by the pharisees and right. they're like well what about this what about this and the guy goes like look like all i know is i was blind and now i see right yep. and that's the guy who did it that's right and so there's something also about when, when we talk about displaying and declaring the gospel yes there's a theological element to it but so much of it also is just our story that like you were saying, like, like I know the story of my friend Tim who invited me to come and hear the gospel right, through right. my youth group. Right. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't done that, I would not know. But so much of it, in addition to that, was just his story. Like I was lost and now I'm found like I was a mess and now I'm here and Jesus is doing this work in me and through me. That is that is that is um, that compels me because, you know, if when you've experienced lostness. You can look at a lost person with compassion and go like, no, I want you to be found. I want you to know that 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 you don't have to walk alone, right? Uh-huh. That you can that there is a loving heavenly Father who wants to in, who is inviting you into a relationship with Him, and then even beyond that, he, he wants to give you a family, uh-huh. spiritually and otherwise, that can care for you and and love you authentically and serve you generously and and help you to follow Him with everything that He has. Do you, do you think it's accurate to say that every believer? has the ability to share the gospel. They have the knowledge to share the gospel. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that part of it is like the spirit in us. That's right. And we, this is what you just said. I mean, both of you, it's this idea that we've been saved. We know what lost look, right? It's now I was lost and now, and it's Jesus did the work. I'm saved mm-hmm. because of it. And that story is the redemption story. Now, of course, there's more to it in the sense that as we want to disciple and equip people, but in the simplicity of that, it it's there. And I think it starts with, Really, this idea that I've got to be intentional. I've got to, I've got to. When my neighbor's out taking out his trash cans and bringing them in, I might go out there and rub shoulders with him and build a relationship with yeah. him. I've got to go to the grocery store and maybe even choose the same, you know, grocery 
ringer upper or whatever that person clerk, is. We call this clerk. Questions. Okay, whatever. <laughs> ringer upper. <laughs> or I choose to go to the same restaurant to to, to and, and uh, you know rather than going to different restaurants every time, yeah. I go to the same one and I build relationships with people. And I know that sounds crazy, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of redemption, that people would be known and by Christ, be saved by Christ, and have eternity secured. I think. It starts with us being intentional. It does. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think sometimes we think about evangelism as like adding to our lives. Like I like I live my life and then I do evangelism versus integrating it in. So as you go. Yeah, as you go, make disciples, right? That's like right. my my kids baseball game is a great place to engage exactly. relationship and share the gospel and That's invest right. in people. And it, it may not be explicitly going, well, the Romans road is it it'll start with a relationship That's and right. asking people questions and and just engaging in life like a normal person. Well, and you've done this well. A Muslim neighbor that you meet with him and his father somewhat regularly yeah, just to build relationships. So it's both and. It's relationship and it's the proclaiming. It's the sharing of the truth. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for sharing this part. I mean, this this first section on our vision, like, again, our vision is to impact the world with the good news of Jesus. We want to see the good news ripple out um, in, in our homes in our neighborhoods, throughout Rockwall, throughout Dallas, and then throughout the world. That's what we want. And the primary ways that we believe that's going to happen is by the the church equipping itself to follow God passionately, to love people authentically, to serve others generously, and to share the gospel boldly. at our vision um, and the pillars that kind of are associated with that vision. And now we want to unpack kind of our eight core values, which um, core value is a phrase we hear a lot, right? You hear it in businesses. Businesses have core values. Churches have core values. But I, th- I think it's good to start with what a core value is. And it, it really would be kind of like a, the, the spiritual rhythms or priorities that we think are essential for health and growth right. as a follower of Jesus, right? And so these... Um, these these uh, values are, are kind of like the activators that we think will help us be what we want out of our vision, right? Um, the first one that we're going to talk about is is the idea of the word. That that one of our our, our top uh, core value is the word, and we with each of these core values we have a little tagline, and this one is it's the word embracing and integrating truth. And so, Chris, when we talk about God's word, um, the Bible, and the idea of both embracing and integrating truth, like why is that so important for us? And what does that actually mean and look like for our lives? Yeah, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is active, is alive and active. Uh, It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So um, we read God's word, but just as much God's word reads us, right? Mm -hmm. It, It brings to light what's really happening inside of me. What are my motivations? And it reveals to me my sin. It reveals to me, just how unlike God I am, how much yeah. I'm in rebellion against him and how I'm truly um, building my own kingdom around my own preferences, my my own version of what I want God to be. And a lot of times um, that version is me. I, I want to be God, God of my life and, and God of the world. Um, and so it doesn't just reveal um, what I am, but it reveals the nature and character of God. And so I see myself clearly by looking at God. Um, so as I'm, I'm reading God's word, I'm, I'm also have to make a decision about, am I going to submit to it? Am I going to actually believe that this is God's word and that it's speaking to me um, about who he is and about who I am and that it becomes really a true north it becomes the compass for my life. It's faithful. It's trustworthy, and I can separate. I can set everything else in my life um, aligned to that. That that is what I can put my hope and my trust in yeah. as being real and true. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's significantly beyond just theological knowledge or an understanding of something, but it is. It's that like I'm taking it in, and like James talks about, like. Um, don't just be a hearer of the words, but do what it says, right? That, that thought process. And to integrate it in, that, that I, I have to wrestle with, like, Scripture shows me what it looks like to be truly human, demonstrated in the life and character of Jesus. And I look at my own life and go, eh, I'm not really there. Yep. And so how do I reconcile those te- things? And what does that do? How does that shape my view of God, my view of, of the gospel, my view of myself, and how I should live or think or act or, 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 or um, operate differently in my life? Anything you'd want to add to that? 
Yeah, I think, boy, both of you guys nailed it. Uh, the passage that comes to mind is, I think it's Psalm 66. It's one of my favorite ones, and it talks about how the heaven is his, his throne and the earth is his footstool. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, the one to whom I listen, the one to whom I hear is he who is contrite, right, humble, contrite, and trembles at my word. And the idea that they would obey the word of God is the one that the, is the Lord listens to. And so it is... I love that this is first, and I love that it's really central of everything we do next to God in Christ, because it is the, the guiding marks for our life. It lets us know the character and nature of God and, and who we are in light of that, and gives us kind of that trajectory to press in and, and move forward and, and worship Him, to live for Him. And, and I love it that when people are in the Word and they're growing— they become more like Christ as a result of it, right? Yeah. When, they're, when they're striving to honor him based on what it says, they really begin to look and live differently. Yeah. And, and I love that because God gets the glory out of that. It's for his glory and his recognition. Um, Psalm 119 says that, like, I run in the path of your commands for yep. you've set my heart free. That's right. And it's that idea, kind of goes back to our pillars, that idea that when we choose to follow him in these things, it actually it, it offers a freedom, not bondage, yep. you know, as we learn to do that. Comes yeah. back to that life in full, right? Yep. In him. Exactly. Okay. The second one is prayer. And our tagline for prayer is a, as a core value is that, uh, this idea of living independence and surrender. So Bill, when we talk about prayer as that second core value of the word and we have prayer, like what would you, what would you do to help our people understand like what we mean by prayer being a priority or a, a spiritual yeah. rhythm? Yeah, I think uh, we can we can view God as distant, right? And and especially as young believers, we 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 see Him unreachable or untouchable. Does He acknowledge us? And it really allows a holy God to be in our presence, right? We we it draws us near to Him, essentially, is what it is, and it creates us and it acknowledges our dependence on Him. And so as we uh, strive to be in communion and relationship with the Lord, I think it it really. It's not so that we he's changed by our prayers. It just it really aligns our sights on him and and shows that it's about him. Yeah. In any relationship, like like it would make sense. Like if, if I'm gonna have a healthy relationship with my wife, then that means there's gonna be conversation like you can't right. have a healthy relationship outside of like meaningful, engaged, present conversation. And although it, in some ways it's obviously different with the Lord, like we don't necessarily hear audibly from him. He speaks primarily through his word and by yep. his spirit. But that, that casting of our cares and that, that um, bringing our needs before him, that dependence and surrender that re, like you were talking about, Chris, the, like my compulsion is to lead my own life. And, and, and prayer is a rhythm that helps me to go like, I'm not in charge. I don't know everything. I need help. What would you add to that? Yeah, dependence and surrender are not our primary means of operation, right? It's very um, oppositional to the way that we think, and so much so that even Jesus' disciples ask him to, to teach them how to pray right. because they weren't these rote prayers like first century Jews would pray. And it started with just this sense of what it means to worship God and what it means to go before him and ask him for what— we need every day asking mm -hmm. for daily bread. And there is this sense of surrender. I think of uh, the Israelites in the desert and how they would gather manna in tents, and, but it would only keep for a day. Right? Right. They had yep. to depend upon the Lord. And my very nature, all of our natures, is not to actually depend to God and trust him as a father. It's to trust in ourselves and become made men and, and do things that we can control and, and build up our lives in such a way. Um, and God wants to shape our lives, uh, if we were to model it after Jesus, is to live this life of dependence. Uh, mm -hmm. Even Jesus, as the Son of God, he goes away to commune with the, fa the Father for hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And it was very much a relationship, and, and God wants us in that way with him, too. Uh, we think of the original cre creation story. Man walked with God, and, right. and we were created by God for God to know God and prayer is the primary mechanism by which that happens. Yeah. And, and prayer, similarly to what we were talking about with the pillars, can become very reactionary versus proactive. Very right? much so, yeah. And so it is, it's something we want to prioritize as a church to where both individually as well as corporately that it becomes our first instinct rather than our last resort. You know, it's not waiting until everything's in crisis to pray, but that we build in these rhythms 
um, similar to the Jews, right? They had morning, midday, and evening prayers. They yeah. they just kind of built those rhythms in, and that, that that taking their lives before the Lord in prayer was just part of their. It's part of breathing, basically. Yeah. And I appreciate you said individually and corporately, because sometimes I've heard people say, man, it's easy to pray when I'm praying with people, but I don't know how to pray when I'm praying alone. Yeah. And it is, you know, we've heard the word discipline. It, it just begins to take practice. And yeah. I think the more you practice, the more you grow in it. Yep, absolutely. Our third value is the idea of worship. Um, and we say like worship in terms of responding to God. Worship obviously oftentimes can be truncated down to songs that we sing on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. But worship is significantly more than that, right? It's this whole life of responsiveness to God. It's it's um, Romans 12 talks about, therefore, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And then it says like, this is your this is your reasonable act of worship. That in light of all that Jesus is, is and all that he has done, the only thing that would make sense would be for me to lay my life down down in as an act of worship and so worship is um i had a pastor that used to say that worship is the highest form of uh, obedience is the highest form of worship right Mm -hmm. that how we how we trust the lord how we serve others how we sacrifice how we give generously how we give financially how we live in a surrendered way all of that is worship um and that we really are designed for it that god has designed us for worship and so it would make sense that the songs become almost an outflow of this lifestyle of, of dependence and surrender saying like, Lord, like you are worthy of all of who I am. Like anything, what would you guys add to that in terms of worship? Man, you did such a good job of providing a really good overview. The only thing I probably could add is that like everything we're talking about here, this becomes a byproduct of a life that's surrendered. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that worship is, it's evidence of somebody who is following Jesus, and it's one of those things that we grow in. Um, I think the more our lives are surrendered, the more we are truly grateful and see everything as a response of God's goodness to us, and then we begin to live lives that are worshipful. We live lives that are obedience, uh, obedient to Jesus, and um, you know we come to uh, the place when we gather, not to worship God, but really already being in a state of worship by the way we're living out our lives. Yep. Um, and again, that's more aspirational. We know all of us aren't there all of the time, but uh, worship, uh, being able to worship God is something that becomes as just as a, a byproduct of my willingness to actually follow after Jesus and walk with him. And I can't really worship him if I'm not doing those things. Yeah. And I mean, worship is one of the things that will continue on into eternity. That's right. This is something that we will be breathing in and breathing out for all of eternity. Sure. You know, in the presence of God, this, this um, awe and wonder and expressing all of who we are back to him because he's worthy of it. And that's, that is it, it to have a taste of that in the here and now, like you said, that like when we come in on Sundays, that it really is like, we're not coming to worship, but we're already worshiping when we get here. Like that isn't, that is a taste of what eternity is, which that's is right. a really cool thing. Well, and it's funny, I'm just looking over kind of our vision and values and having a desire for a people, a church to live all this out is worship. Like yeah. every one of these elements is worship. So it's so easy to compartmentalize it, like you said, but it's, it is sharing boldly. It is serving generously. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, all of these things is worshiping the Lord when we figure it out. We'll never nail it with perfection, right? Like you said, Chris, but it's this idea that it's a people that are after his heart. And in response to that, yeah. right, he's He's glorified. Mm-hmm. Our next value actually is, um, it, it tags on, we, we've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but it's, the, the, it's, it's worth having as a core value in addition to being part of the pillars, which is authenticity. And the tagline is the idea of honest living which um, is a little nuanced from where we were talking about loving authentically in terms of like, really it's this picture of us being committed to being who we are and where we are at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul talks about this, right? Where he says like, by God's grace, I am what I am. Mm-hmm. Like Paul had a past, right? He had persecuted God's church. He had, he had chased down believers. He was trying to root out Christianity in its earliest forms. And then on the road to Damascus, he is met by Jesus and he comes to faith in Christ. And, you know, it'd be easy for that past to kind of create shame and, and guilt and all those kinds of things. But there's something about Paul's understanding of grace and forgiveness that uh, that freed him to be where he was at and to be honest and to be authentic about that and, and not to present a version of himself, right? right? And so, like, as a core value when we talk about authenticity, Chris, like, 
how would you kind of like, what is it that we want to see in the heart and life of the church when it comes around authenticity? Well, just being real and just not worrying so much about how um, I'm going to be or we're going to be perceived by others and um, creating a space that becomes safe for folks to struggle well Mm -hmm. and be honest about their sin and not happy about staying there, uh, but willing to be transparent enough to bring people around them so that they can grow in what it means to pursue the Lord. Um, And that's the hardest thing because we've all been hurt and we've all been in places where we feel like um, we've been betrayed or or there has been a confidence that Mm -hmm. can no longer be trusted. Uh, So that's that's tough to take risks and to put yourself out there where you can be vulnerable, especially emotionally, Mm -hmm. with something that you want to keep to yourself. But we know that if we bring our sin into the light, it's no longer in the darkness. It doesn't hold sway over us. Um, and it's interesting that the Lord forgives sins, but it's when we confess our sins to one another that we're healed. So yeah. there is something about being in community that when I bring my stuff into the light and I share it with you, I share it with Bill, I share it with other people, um, that doesn't hold the same power it, it has over me. And and then there's an authenticity about that, too, where it, it almost provides a social permission that uh, Bill sees, you see, uh, I was willing to really own my stuff and, and be real about where I am and what I'm dealing with in my heart. And so now maybe you can too. Yeah. And it, it gives you courage and it gives you permission to be able to step into that space. Um, and it's tough because that means all in all of those spaces, someone has to go first, right? Yeah, and so it's, right. it's up to us to be courageous and lead out in that way. Yeah. yeah, and that's a perfect segue into our next core value, which is community. That we really are, as the tagline would say, that we're better together. So, Bill, you know, piggybacking off of authenticity, like we talk about how community um, is so essential to spiritual health and growth, um, like the, the, like no ifs, ands or buts. And, you know, church world, we've kind of at times we can truncate it down to a Sunday morning event that we attend. But the, like that's just a taste of what it means to truly be part of the church. So how would you kind of help our people understand why community is such a high value for us. Well, and I think it's important to say that every one of these we see in Scripture, and that's why the references are given there. Yeah. And you see in Scripture that really it's about, you see in Scripture the idea that church is being familial, right? There's yeah. a family element that's designed there. And as I'm in relationship with my kids, there's growth. And sometimes I've had my kids come to me and go, hey, Dad, that was weird how you talked to that person at the store. Yeah. And 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 it's that type of relationship that God uses. It's fellowship, right? I, I actually get to worship the Lord in relationship with others. Um, it's encouragement to, to one another, right? And I think when we begin to live that way as a church, um, it's not only authentic, it's, it's all of the joys that we have amongst one another. The joy that I get when I see somebody that's in community that that has a need, whether I or other people in the church or in our community group or individual community groups begin to meet that need is so beautiful because it's not contingent on the corporate church. It's contingent on the people, which are the church. Yeah. And so that's the idea of it is a people and that live amongst one another in such a way um, that care and live and, and enjoy the joys of the Lord in that setting. I only typically see this in intentional gatherings. Yeah. I don't see it in a freelance relationship that happens on Sundays or occasional. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, and you see like Hebrews 10 talks about this idea of like, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good needs and not giving up meaning together, right? Yeah. There's this, there's an intentionality that, that the writer of Hebrews is calling the church like, hey, be disciplined. And, and Sunday's part of that. But, you know, when you got 250, 350 people in a room, right. like that, like that, that's a very truncated version of community versus sitting across the table from three or four people at a coffee shop or sitting in a living room. And, and whether that's just a, a good meal together and fun and laughter and games or sitting down with the word, it doesn't have to be an either or, it can be a both and. So what would you add when you think about this idea of community as a core value? Yeah, it's interesting too, to note that this is something that people naturally gravitate toward outside of the church. It's a basic human need. Mm-hmm. We were designed for mm-hmm. community. Yeah. Um, and then what I would add to that is it's actually impossible to follow Jesus Christ without being in community. Amen. Like what a great Jesus, statement. Jesus does this with disciples. He calls other people around him 
and people who were very different from one another mm-hmm. um, would never rub elbows with one another. In fact, the three of us sitting at this table, we may not even know each other um, if we didn't have Jesus. Yeah. And so he teaches these 12 guys what it means to truly love and, and truly die to self. And it happens in the context of community. We can't really follow after Jesus Christ and learn how to love apart from being in community with one another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's hard, like you said, because of the realities that many of us have been wounded and hurt in relationship. And and oftentimes in the church, like the church has not always been good at this. And so there's an acknowledgement of that, that we know that that's hard, that people come in with guarded hearts and hurts and wounds. And, and the reality is, is that, that, Genuine relationships are always messy and inefficient. And we, we live in a world, both a church world and a greater world, that really aims at like efficiency. So how quickly can we knock something out? And yeah. so we want quick pathways and easy steps and just kind of plug and play. And yet to, to really develop a depth of relationship, it's going to be messy. It's going to be inconvenient. There's it's an investment of time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take work. And so um, like one of the things I know in the core class, we've talked about this in person. And I would just want to say here too, like, like you, there's a part of us that has to be comfortable giving room for that, that mm. it's going to take time. Right. You're going to, you're going to lean into different groups and different relationships and some are going to resonate and some aren't. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. That's right. just part of developing relationships. But ultimately I think it's so important that, that we highlight what you said is that community is an essential part of following Jesus. Yeah. Right. Like we are not designed to walk the spiritual journey alone. That's great. Cool. Moving on is mission. Um, and again, we touched on this a little bit with our pillars, but it's worth coming back to that this idea that every member is on mission. And we talked about sharing the gospel boldly and this idea of making disciples. And so it, it just, I mean, if we want to kind of button maybe a little bit more, Chris, like when we think about living on mission, um, as you go make disciples of all nations, like Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth is mine. Like, so I, I write the rules. I make the game up. I, this is how I want it done. And the way I want it done is for you guys, y'alls, the church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so for you, Chris, like when, um, is there anything you would want to tag on to that from even our conversation around pillars in terms of what it means for us to be missionaries, um, that missionaries aren't just the people we send to Papua New Guinea or to East Africa or whatever, but we are all missionaries here. Yeah, it comes back to the idea of Christ's love compels us. And mm-hmm. as our lives are becoming more and more surrendered and, and more and more about what it means to actually follow Jesus, I think this becomes a byproduct of of now loving things that are just apart from my own um, sphere of influence, my own idea of what life is. Um, and so a, a byproduct of that just becomes I, I have a love for the lost. I have a love for um, neighbors, coworkers, family members who who don't know who Jesus is. Like if if I read God's word and if it is really true, and if there there is a place after this life that people will be f- separated from God, how do I not do something about that? And so each of us have a role in that um, as it as it relates to. Um, not just leading our families and and making disciples, but also um, what it truly means to to reach the world for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't really fully understand, you know, why God would leave it to his church, leave it to his people, why he chooses to uh, trust this treasure in in us, right? Mm -hmm. We're these broken vessels. And... um, these jars of clay, and yet, uh, still, as a as a function of just what it means to obedient be, be obedient to God, we we play a part in that. Um, and so, regardless of our sphere of influence, um, as God is transforming our hearts, uh, it changes us to want to be able to reach others. Yeah. So our seventh core value is is multiplication. Um, and our tagline is this idea of mobilizing a movement, which really, I guess the heart of it is that we like we don't want Cornerstone to just be about Cornerstone, but it really is about like Jesus's kingdom, the gospel reproducing itself, you know, in Rockwall, in Dallas, throughout the world. And then we believe that God has given 
all these gifts lead people to the church and everyone is gifted. No one, no one who is part of the church who has the Holy Spirit in them, who is a follower of Jesus, is without gifts. And so we want to see that reproduce. We want to see disciples who make disciples. We want to see leaders make more leaders. We want to see small groups make more small groups. We want to okay. see churches make more churches, right? And yeah. and so that's this this heartbeat in of of building a gospel legacy that 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 far outlives any one of us sitting at this table or even in the church on a Sunday. But that for, you know, centuries or, you know, years and years and years, the, the echoes of the gospel continue to move out from here. So when we talk about this idea of, of multiplication and mobilizing a movement, what else would you guys want to add to that in this idea of this being one of our core values? Yeah, I think of how that happened in each of our lives. Mm-hmm. It didn't just stay with us. Yeah. And it's why we are sitting where we're sitting and because we have the desires now that have been really shaped by God. And um, there's a desire also to see that happen as other people lay down their lives and they're obedient to follow him, right? That husbands would lead their wives in this way. And so as a result, their children now are discipled and and generations are transformed. Mm -hmm. And you have whole communities that are changed because of people choosing to be obedient to following after Jesus. And so much of that, uh, we could look and think of just churches being multiplied and some of the things that just by our metrics would make us feel successful. But faithful obedience, like each of our people who are following after Jesus, who call themselves just faithful members here at at Cornerstone, as their lives continue to be just transformed, what's God going to do through that That's and right. through each of those lives, through every mom, through every dad, through, with, with every student um, that comes here on a Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. Like, And then how does that ripple effect happen in their schools, in our communities, in our places of work, just as we we lay our lives down individually because the hardest thing to master is is going to be ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Our own desires, our own wants. And so each of us being faithful to follow Jesus. Yeah, it kind of pulls back to that 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 idea that sits at the center of a lot of what, if not all what we talked about, is that the church is a people. Mm-hmm. The church is not a in its essence isn't an organization right the church is a people and so um in many ways this the core value of multiplication hopefully it fights against consumerism right. and that desire to come and consume right and a thing versus be versus be and let what i am and what jesus is doing in me ripple itself out and, That's and right. produce more right. out of it i'm not coming here to get something but to be part of something, and that part of something yeah. is a family. It's the yeah. family of God. Yeah, and there's Everybody a partnership contributes. in that, that like we, Cornerstone will never, will only flourish so much as the people of Cornerstone right. That's right. take ownership of being Cornerstone. As God right? is working in each of their lives, 100%. right? And each individual choosing to follow after Jesus and, and lay down their own lives. Yeah, and that actually is a perfect segue into our last core value, which, you know, these other ones, the other seven of them, in many ways you could say like these are, rhythms that we practice or things that we do. This one is unique in the sense that it, it's the core value is transformation, mm-hmm. which is this becoming more like Jesus. Um, and, um, you know, in Ezekiel 36, uh, the prophet Ezekiel talks about how like, like God is sending a Messiah and in this Messiah, it's going to change the, the game in a sense of how, how people walk with God, right? Then he says, you know, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That there was going to be this inside out change that it, that, 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 that walking with God wasn't just going to be about external confirmation of behavior That's right. that like I have to work really hard to be a better person like often we hear but it was going to be this thing where the gospel was going to change people from the inside out right and that this that this eighth core value of transformation is so essential for us to understand because we could take any of these other seven and even our vision and say like okay like everyone Grab yourself by the bootstraps. We're going to go make this happen. But that's actually not how we want to approach it. So when you guys think about transformation and becoming more like Jesus as a core value, um, how how would you kind of share that um, and help our people understand what we mean by that? 
I think you said something that's so key, right? It's the behavior, behavior modification, right? Versus heart change. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm guilty of this. Like six kids, sometimes I correct the way they behave. You are guilty of having six kids. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guilty of this issue of uh, behavior modification. Yes. And and uh, six kids, yes, uh, I am guilty. But behavior modification, I actually have a tendency to correct their behavior versus point them to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think it requires an intentionality. And it is living out these other core values so that I'm more like him and, and leading more toward him. And so I think the key is that we're pointing people to to live closer to Christ and be more like Christ versus changing their behavior. And it, it's no different, right? Yeah. I want to train my kids in a way that they honor and follow the Holy Spirit's lead in their life and not behave a certain way at a certain time. Yeah. That, 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 that transformation, like I, I've I similarly have told my kids, like my primary concern isn't that you're a good person. My primary concern That's is that right. you love Jesus. And I believe that if you truly love Jesus, you'll end up being a better person. Everything else will change. Um, and that, that thing, and that doesn't mean that there isn't discipline and self-discipline right. involved. So it, it is a work but it's it's that Second um, Peter one talks about how we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, right. and then he says so in light of the fact that you have everything you need, supplement that mm-hmm. with effort, right? That you work out these things. That's so, right. Chris, what would you add to this in the idea of transformation? I'm going to call back to what we talked about earlier, where we want to hold on to our lives, but Jesus encourages us to lay down our lives. That's right. We think our life is going to be found in all of the things that we can manufacture through our success and our wealth and our relationships. Um, And Jesus flips all of that on its head and says, you're going to find life when you're willing to let go of that. So it comes back to us willing to actually surrender and trust God is who he says he is and actually believe his word. And when I believe his word and I apply it to my life, then I start to become transformed. I've got to actually believe that it's true, that mm-hmm. that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the grave, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back. Yeah. And that begins to impact me in ways where I don't just see God's word as a book. Uh, they're not just suggestions or pithy sayings or things that I can uh, do to make my life more powerful or impactful or productive, but that God really wants to change me from the inside out. And as I let go of that, that idea of that I'm going to hold on to my life and my rights and my version of what life needs to look like, that's when I start to really become transformed. That's when I start to move from this version of what I am apart from Jesus and that process of being sanctified, to be actually being set apart by God and for God starts to take root in my life. And that's, that's transformation. That's the journey each of us are on. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And it's, it's the journey each of us are on individually as well as communally as a family, right? Yeah, we walk right. arm in arm and it's not linear, right? Like it isn't this thing that just yeah. kind of has this, but each moment, each day, just faithfully taking that next step, you know, yeah. wherever I'm at today, I want to take a step towards him. I want to learn how to pray more. I want to learn how to st- read the Bible more. I want to be better at community. I want to be closer with my friends. I want to be more generous. Right. You know, I want to worship. I want, like, it's just, it isn't, it isn't this thing where like I have some massive, like one, like I'm going to get to this magical fairy dust mm-hmm. moment. It's just that, that moving day in, day out kind of thing. And for all of this, like when we, when we talk about our vision and our values, like when both of you guys have alluded to this or talked about it earlier, like these are aspirational. Like we as a church, we don't believe we've arrived, right? Like we're not like hey, I haven't arrived. Right, I mean, like we haven't <laughs> crushed yourself. Bill's done it. I'm kidding. Six kids. Yeah, not even close. <laughs> but that there's a sense that like we are committed as a church community to pursuing it. Yeah. And for people who are considering making Cornerstone their home, yes. what we're saying is come on the journey with us, yes. right? Like like let's let's do it together. Like right. and there's going to be time when sometimes when some of us fall behind. There's going to be times when some of us run ahead. But we're all working and walking the same way pursuing Jesus, pursuing that transformation that he is doing in us and through us. So Just like that, the disciples did, right? Yeah, they absolutely. did it in a community. They walked with Jesus and they had to figure it out as they lived with one another. Boy, that excites me when I hear you say that. I mean, both of you. And I think of that's that final statement that Jesus is my Lord and Cornerstone is my church. Why yeah. could I say that? Because we're all in this together trying to move a direction that really brings unity and pleasure to him. So in light of that, the last thing I wanted to touch on guys was, um, 
So, you know, we laid out vision, like impact the world with the good news of Jesus by equipping to follow, you know, follow God passionately, love people authentically, serve others generously, and share the gospel boldly. And we have these values, the word, prayer, worship, authenticity, community, mission, multiplication, and transformation. So how do we know we're succeeding at this? Like for us as a, as a, as a leadership team and as a church, as we evaluate, right, because we're going we're gonna, to, we're walking this journey together. Like how do we define success as a church? Like what would you guys say in speaking to that? That's great. I just had this conversation with somebody in the gym the other day and, um, you know, there was some frustration around just these aspirational elements of things that we want to always be able to see, right? Like in organizations that I've worked at um, before, we keep very careful record of these metrics and numbers and data points that demonstrate success and, and they make us feel good about progress. And uh, the church is is different, right? Because it, it really is a family. It's an organism. And, and how do you measure faithfulness? How do you measure life transformation? How do you measure obedience? Um, and I think there's fruit. Like we see the fruit of the Spirit and that emanates in the lives of believers and we hear stories of life change and transformation. But I think our success is going to come down to are we being faithful to live out how God has called us to live? Um, and I think it's as, as simple as that. Yeah, and Proverbs 3 uh, talks about this. It says, you know, um, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Like, that's a great metric, right? That's that, right? Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Mm. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Mm. And that really is like that encompasses. And so like this is a journey we're all on. And we want to thank you guys for listening or watching this um, just from us as a leadership team. Like we hope this is a helpful resource and a tool both for our core class, but then also for anyone who's just trying to learn what it means to be part of Cornerstone and to be part of this church family. Anything you guys want to add in closing? Man, we really just appreciate that um, people would take the time to learn more about who we are as a people. And uh, we would just encourage you, join us join and us. be a part of the journey. Yeah. And any for anyone listening or watching, um, you always, we, like, we want to be a team that's accessible. So you can always email elders at cornerstonerockwall.com if you have questions or there's things that you're not sure about or things that we were unclear about. Like We, we really want to be a, a, a leadership team that are available to right. everyone. Um, who might have questions. So perfect. Thanks guys. Thank you.